Hello, hello everyone. This is Dr. Aaron Stairs. Some of you know me as Dr. Eeks. Most of you do. Um, and we're back with another episode of Causes or Cures. And this is a great episode, guys. Um, it actually came as a request from a couple people. And I was trying to find the perfect guest to really dive into this topic. And I did. I did. As luck would have it. Um, Today's podcast is with Dr. Katie Sturgeon, and she works at the Penn State Cancer Institute. She has conducted a lot of research, um, particularly on exercise-induced protection against chronic diseases, uh, as well as lifestyle changes and dietary factors that can impact um, can, can impact health. So today we are going to specifically focus on how exercise the type of exercise, how long you do it, diet, the type of diet, calories, um, and lifestyle factors that impact breast cancer survivors. So basically, is there an optimal exercise plan? Is there an optimal diet um, that someone should follow if they want to improve breast cancer survivability and outcomes? That's basically what we're going to focus on today. And uh, Dr. Sturgeon will also touch on the best preventive strategies, in her opinion, for premenopausal women. Is there anything that they can do to lower their risk of getting breast cancer? So this is a really important topic to me. Um, I, like many of you, I've had friends who've struggled through breast cancer. And um, so I, I, I'm hoping to learn a lot from this podcast as well. And uh, before we jump in, I just also want to thank you guys for subscribing and sharing the episodes of Causes or Cures. I've noticed an increase in our subscribers over the last two months, which is awesome. And please continue to send me recommendations for what you want to hear about in terms of public health, health, wellness, um, you know, that whole realm. I'm happy to look at those and try to, if I, if I think it's a good topic, if I think people will be interested in it, I will definitely try to um, find an expert or someone to come on and, and talk about it. So keep sending through those suggestions. And that said, let's just jump in and talk to Dr. Katie Sturgeon. Guys, on the line, we have Dr. Katie Sturgeon um, and... I guess to start, do you mind sharing a little bit about you and, and the type of work you do? Sure, absolutely. Well, one, thank you so much for having me on. I, I always appreciate the opportunity to talk science. So this is a, this is a great forum. So thank you. Oh, absolutely um, welcome. And yeah, a little bit about um, my background. Uh, I'm an exercise physiologist, uh, sort of what I've been trained in. I, I, I came to that uh, PhD in exercise physiology by actually by way of a, an undergrad in biology with a minor in sociology. So I sort of always had this kind of burning concept to keep an eye out for sort of that larger picture with the, the, the sociology and the why do we do certain things. And mm-hmm. I was lucky enough during my PhD to, um, to hear about this program and, and some work that was being done called translational research. And when I finished my PhD, I, uh, I was able to link up with Dr. Katie Schmidt, who was at the University of Pennsylvania, and she was looking at uh, exercise oncology and how exercise affects 
cancer um, and that's sort of across the continuum. And I think that's something we might chat about today a little bit and thinking about exercise and cancer is really it's a continuum. So there's prevention before cancer, there's exercise during cancer treatment, and then there's also thinking about exercise oncology for survivorship. So um, there's a whole, whole breath there. And I was actually able to approach it from a translational way. Uh, so oh, when I was there at UPenn, I, um, I learned animal models and, and how to ask some questions that we can't answer in humans, but we can answer in animals and how that information informs the things that we can do in clinical trials, and then, then ultimately how that um, can affect public health, and, and likewise going in the other direction, looking at observations from epidemiology right. and how that informs those animal models to, to ask the questions that we can't in people. Um, that's very, that's awesome. That's so interesting. Um, and so I get, you know, it's, so we mentioned exercise, you mentioned exercise, um, and there's a lot of interest in whether you know lifestyle modifications can make a significant difference in breast cancer survival, and that's what we'll focus on today is is breast cancer. Um, so, from from your research, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, absolutely. There's there's been a lot of strong evidence to to support that exercise, especially after diagnosis, um, is beneficial for decreasing rate of recurrence. Mm. Um, and okay. even one of the things that we have to parse out when we also think about exercise is, uh, this concept of two concepts, actually one of, um, energy balance and energy balance is sort of the longer term, um, balance of energetic ins and outs, you know, your exercise versus your caloric intake. It's a long-term view on that. So it's more about body composition when we talk about energy balance. And then there's also energy availability. Energy availability is a shorter time scale, and that's more short-term responses to our, our exercise and our caloric intake, the ins and outs. So there's, there's two different time scales there. And, and really, when we look at epidemiology, we can, we can really only measure well one of them, <laughs> which, is the, which is the energy balance, which are things like BMI and body composition. Um, so yeah. we can, I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just thinking out loud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, those are things that have been just measured for, for a lot longer and asking people about their physical activity level, um, is always, there's always a little bit of bias there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we're getting better about doing some studies uh, that have more of the, the actographs and, and the things that, you know, are these trackers, these wear, wearables, you know, our watches, that sort of thing. A little more objective, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but in that sort of um, regard, it, it just takes a, a while to develop evidence because you have to wait for cases to develop um, mm. its perspective. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's quite a breadth of, of information and, and, um, you know, we do our best to, to dive into it for sure. Now, does the, obviously there's different types of um, breast cancer. Does that make a difference um, in your opinion? In my opinion, I think the jury's still out on that. Um, yeah. For, uh, again, uh, for exercise, it, it seems like there may be more benefit from 
the hormonal receptor receptor positive um, type, but uh, quality of the evidence I think isn't as good as it could be, um, and also. The hormonal receptor types of breast cancer are are just 80% of all cases of breast cancer. So again, having enough data points for triple negative breast cancer or, you know, BRCA positive, it's just, um, it's just a matter of, of, of getting that information in hand. So I wouldn't say definitively right now. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so, you know, the, the prevailing theories, as to why, I mean, exercise helps. Is it, you know, is, is it just something about reducing uh, weight? Um, maybe some people who are really overweight and it makes it that difference, or is it, is there a connection to inflammation? A lot of different connections. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's like all, sure. I know, there's always those back and forth arrows and everything, right? <laughs> yeah, especially when we talk about inflammation too, because inflammation uh, for a long time, and, and it's still kind of it, it's getting out of this, but it's been a, like this nebulous definition of what do you call inflammation? Is it something that comes from the immune cells, uh, like uh, you know IL one or IL two and, and interleukins and the things that come from uh, uh, you know the actual immune cells, or is it uh, what about just the proteins that are released from endothelial cells that activate? pathways um, that are known to be involved in inflammation. So, so how you define it is sort of interesting. And, and one of the clinical hallmarks has been uh, C-reactive protein, CRP. Right. And that's something that really, really spikes if you have an infection, right? Like your immune system is really working. Right. That goes up. Um, but there's also been enough studies now looking at this, that if it's subtly elevated, that's that low-grade chronic inflammation, um, and that's been used in a lot of different studies for cardiovascular disease, for cancer. And so that's something that has linked inflammation to cancer. Um, uh, and exercise does impact it. Yeah. And um, um, we could talk about that. Um, I know that the, uh, those are like two questions I have down the line, but I think that this kind of ties in before I go into the diet questions. Um, yeah, I guess like how does exercise affect that? Great question. <laughs> That's, you know, and there's scales to answer that too. So how does it affect it? Um, you know, on, on one way it can exercise can um, improve the, the, the health, uh, if you will, the cells that line your blood vessels. And that's one source of inflammation. So keeping, keeping your blood vessels um, healthy and happy is one way to decrease inflammation. Um, and now remember, when we measure CRP and we measure inflammation clinically, we're measuring your blood. So we're basically measuring any spillover of inflammation that goes into your blood. So maybe that's representative of what's going on at the tissue level of, you know, maybe it's representative of what's going on at the breast, but we can't really say that. So um, when you go down to that sort of tissue level or, or cell level, or, or there's more specificity to it, um, that's when you start to think about how these crosstalk and interactions between um, blood vessels and, and the adipocytes and um, fibroblasts and, and breast tissue, how are they all talking to each other? Um, and if you can keep that systemic hormonal milieu um, 
as as normal as possible for as long as possible for as chronically as possible that's where you're going to have the most protection um that's yeah it's so fascinating um just like the, the levels that you have to get down to um now i so you know people are always like oh if you exercise you know exercise really hard get out there you know you know burn yourself like <laughs> burn yourself out but is is there a uh dose dependent effect um and just for anybody like just meaning like you increase the intensity or uh time that you're exercising um let's say aerobic exercise um so is there a dose dependent effect of aerobic exercise on inflammatory markers like the more i exercise am i gonna be less inflamed so to speak uh so we just published a paper and it's maybe what you're referencing. Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> at, yeah, yeah. So there was a study um, that we did where we asked women to, um, to exercise aerobically for 150 minutes a week or 300 minutes a week. And we asked the control group to, to just, you know, keep, keep doing what they were doing, which was less than 75 minutes a week. So we basically less than 75, 150, and 300 minutes. So true dose response. And, you know, this one was a national recruitment. We sent treadmills to women all over the country. We checked in with them. They had heart rate monitors. They were super adherent. And we we actually saw a dose-dependent increase in inflammation. Uh, and these women were uh, considered at higher risk for breast cancer because of either um, – their own, you know, genetic report or that somebody, you know, close in their family that would increase their risk, you know, by 25%, let's say if it's a you know, mother, sister, et cetera. And, and so they were also, you know, apparently healthy, no, no, you know, diabetes, or um, I think they were on average overweight, but not obese. And, and we saw that uh, at the end of about six months of training, uh, that we had a had a dose dependent increase in the inflammatory profiles uh, for for those women. So we had to really speculate on that and say, huh, does this mean that people shouldn't be exercising? This is this is kind of <laughs> counterintuitive. <laughs> right. And we went to the literature, and uh, you know what we see that a lot of what we see exercise dose dependently being beneficial with are in people who have started at a high level of inflammation. So have started with obesity, started with cardiovascular disease, started with, you know, some sort of um, uh, comorbidity or multiple comorbidities that, that start them at elevated risk. And that's where we see exercise can return them to more normal levels. Um, but if you're starting at more normal levels, then we could see these, these shifts up. Um, and we don't know where that cutoff is that, oh, well, this is a good, normal functioning secondary messenger. Things are talking to them like they should. And this level of stress is actually important for other adaptations. We don't quite know where that cutoff goes between this is a good level of stress and this is, this is too much. And this is, this is, you know, a malignant level of stress. I, I, I was just thinking here, like, is there any thought on, well, like the benefit of, of exercise improving like survivability, for example, might not have to do with inflammation? There's a whole host of other pathways, that's for sure. Um, 
whether it is also related to uh, estrogen levels. Exercise mm. can alter estrogen levels. Right. Um, yeah, it can also alter the type of tissue in the breast that's sensitive to the estrogen levels. Um, we also see that it changes uh, body composition a little bit. You know, we, we, we saw a change in the amount of, of, of fat mass uh, that the women had, and that improved some of the other signaling hormones that come out of the, the adipocytes, come out of the, the, the fat cells, um, that those are ones that we think could be particularly important for breast cancer. Oh, that's, yeah, that, that's, so that's interesting. Um, I have to say, when you had, when you said about defining, you know, inflammation, I just, I, I think a lot of like, you know, like, um, anti-inflammatory is such a buzzword in like, you know, like the wellness market and stuff, but <laughs> I don't even think people know what it means when they put it on a product. They're just like anti-inflammatory and everyone's like, all right, I'm going to get it. Um, I wanted to ask you about, uh, diet, if that was okay to, 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 mm -hmm as part of, okay. So as part of like a lifestyle modification. Um, and so in, in your research and in, in, in the work that you do, um, is there a diet that's better than others? Um, there's so many diets out there now, um, in terms of, of breast cancer survivability or quality of life. Well, you mean, think about diet and just to sort of make sure we're all on the same page, right? It's like, that's a nutritional eating pattern. <laughs> so high carbs, low fat, you know, ketogenic, you know, type of macronutrient right. um, is, is what I think people mostly think about when they hear diet, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, uh, you know, I just, I sort of hearken back to that concept of the energy balance and, and really that for everything that we see so far that, it, it may not as much matter what those calories are made up of, but whether or not you have an ex excess of calories. Okay. Really, really at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. So just like getting less, less calories in or put, or putting more calories out. Yeah. Just having that balance and maintaining balance. a healthy weight and, and, uh, and maintaining a healthy weight for, long-term and, and chronically having balance, um, is, you know, that's, that's not easy either. No, <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that has picked up steam, I think more recently, uh, and it, and it does come from, from looking at some of these things in animal models as well, is the concept of the, the intermittent fasting and, um, having, you know, longer bouts of caloric restriction. Oh, uh, that's so, beneficial. Is, are you seeing that in animals? No, there, there's been clinical trials as well, but the clinical trials, of course, they measure, you know, biomarkers of things that put you at risk for, um, you right. know, haven't really been able to follow people long enough to say, oh, look, if you follow this, then yes, you have, you know, uh, 10, 15 years from now, <laughs> lower risk of, of, you know, cancer diagnosis or mortality, you know, in, in patients who had been diagnosed with cancer. So um, that's still a little um, down the line to, to get to that point. Uh, but, you know, trying to say, 
oh, well, a 30% caloric restriction in, in mice, you know, decreases aging and cancer and all these things. That's actually really hard to do in a human. So uh, if you go towards a little bit different model, is it still as beneficial? Um, and so far, there's been some, some really promising uh, results there. For intermittent, intermittent fasting, and, it, and how would... Uh, is there like a definition for that? I know, I know people, you know, some people are like, oh, I skipped a meal, but there's like a, is there a strict definition for that? Um, off the top of my head, I forget what the most, I'll say, I want to say sort of popular ones, but the ones that have shown the most efficacy, I forget off the top of my head. Um, but they have, I believe something along a five two, which is like like five days of the week are sort of normal, but then there's other days where you um, really do some fasting. Yeah, um, and yeah. then there's also been more intermittent fasting with uh, actually a study of her at San Diego. They just asked women to just don't eat after like six or seven p.m. Huh. Just plan your day to to not not eat late at night. <laughs> it's so interesting. And the benefit, I actually, I had um, a neuroscientist on my podcast talking about intermittent fasting and I totally forget the ratios, like, you know, like the, the protocols, but I know that um, the trying to figure out, you know, the benefit of intermittent fasting, you know, is it, wh whether it's unique uh, t to the benefit of caloric restriction. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but it seems like there there is something there that might be different. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I think. Yeah. It, yeah, I you know, we're I, I we're asking better and better in questions as we get more and more information. So uh I think that's definitely something to keep an ear out for of how potentially, you know, recommendations and guidelines might change in the future. Mm, yeah. Um and, and also, I think, hopefully, what we're getting closer to as well in the, you know, kind of more general field of, of lifestyle and wellness is, is being able to have more personalized recommendations and prescriptions. Right, right. So, so if, uh, you know, if somebody, uh, let's say a breast cancer uh, survivor, a breast cancer patient was treated, let's say, with chemotherapy. And depending on what that chemotherapy was, let's say it was anthracycline based um, or doxorubicin or like the, the red stuff, uh, that's actually pretty toxic to the heart as well. Does a really good job killing cancer cells, toxic to the heart as well. Um, also, a lot of women will complain about chemo mm. So, you know, you get into this, to this realm of survivorship where, you know, you You've hit five years, you're doing pretty well, you know, but you have some side effects. So what eating or exercise or lifestyle management, long-term chronic plan is best for you and for which side effect that affects you the most? Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's a great point. Like just the kind of like a personal level. Um, so I read in, in one of the uh, papers that, and you, you're, you've been involved in lots of studies, um, it one of the papers um, you talked about, or you and your the fellow authors wrote about um, insulin uh, 
and you could correct me if I'm wrong, if I wrote this down correctly, like patients with the highest quartiles, quartiles of fasting insulin levels, there was a, there is a twofold increase in risk for breast cancer recurrence and a threefold increased risk of death. Um, I was just wondering if you could like maybe explain that link some more or, you know, you know, and why that's significant. Yeah, of course. Um, so some of that also goes back to, uh, almost about 20 years ago, um, uh, Pamela, Pamela Goodwin, um, had looked at this, um, as far as insulin levels and about, you know, five over 500 women and, uh, and, and really did saw a strong correlation with recurrence in, in mortality, but also that that was correlated with BMI and therefore BMI was also, um, you know, highly, highly correlated. And you, you see this curve like a J shaped curve. So BMI less than 20, you know, you have a higher, higher risk of, of death. It's, it's, you know, that might be sicker people there. We're not sure. Um, but once that, uh, once somebody ticks up from, from overweight into obesity, right around a BMI of 30, that's where, that's where we really see the risk start to, to really increase. Um, can you still hear me? Okay. Let's see. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, and so, and I guess along on that lines, another study I read um, on um, precision, you got, there was a program called Precision Nutrition, which I was kind of interested in because um, it sounded like it was like a digital based program, but, um, and, and it was looked at to see if it would affect inflammatory biomarkers um, and, and in survivors. Uh, what was that intervention? Sure. That was a, it was a really cool, it's a company, uh, Precision Nutrition is a company, uh, so it's a commercially available uh, product, essentially, that, that is, uh, you know, remote, electronically delivered, and uh, you have a portal that you, you log into, and it, it kind of combines the best of what we know about behavior change, which is, um, one, every day, you know, you're asked to log in, and then you have a little um, a little blurb to read, a little section to read. It's sort of like self-education about a particular topic. And then for every two weeks for the first uh, six months, it's a year-long thing. And for, the, for two weeks, uh, they ask you to focus on one particular behavior, one particular health behavior. It might be drinking more water. It might be, um, you know, how you fill your plate uh, with, you know, uh, vegetables and your, what your ratios are at, 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 um, the times you eat, uh, it might be, you know, there's, there's various different, uh, habits to focus on just one habit, just one habit every two weeks to focus on. And then you cycle back through. And in addition to that, uh, you are also, uh, given a pretty, pretty significant exercise program, um, with, you know, five days a week and, or six days a week, uh, and, and you have a coach and it's resistance and it's aerobic and there's recovery days. Um, and so it's pretty comprehensive. Um, and the goal there in that study was to see if this program would be beneficial for breast cancer survivors who uh, were BRCA1 or 2 positive and 
they had had a risk-reducing salpingo-oophorectomy. So they had their, their ovaries taken out before the age of 40. So they're in basically early menopause. And one of the things we know with early menopause is that when that's surgically induced, uh, you have much greater risk for effects on your bones and for your heart health. So the question was, could we intervene earlier with a lifestyle intervention to, to help these women? Um, and in that study, the answer was yes. Uh, we we did show some some pretty good benefits. Um, that that's amazing. Is, is that is that program like available or you're not sure? Yeah, it's, it, you can Google it online. I think it still has the oh. same name. <laughs> I, can, oh. I can double check. Yeah, I mean, some people might want to look into that. Um, you know, because it, it was proven to be beneficial. Um, that's that's really interesting. Uh, I'm always interested in kind of like how digital tools can, you know, cause they can be employed so efficiently at the population level. Um, all right, Dr. Sturgeon, one more question for you. Um, so we, you know, we talked a lot about, um, you know, exercise and diet and how that can be used to improve um, survive, survival and in, in, in breast cancer patients. Um, what about, uh, let's say pre-menopausal women, um, are there any lifestyle tips that stand out as maybe more significant than others in terms of lowering your chance, lowering your risk of, of getting breast cancer? Um, it was really interesting in pre-menopausal women uh, because one, I mean, the, the greatest risk factors are kind of things you can't control, <laughs> which are when you have your first child, how old you are when you have your first child. Um, age at which you got your first menstrual cycle. Like these are things probably, you know, aren't on the top of your list to control <laughs> in any sort of way. Right. Uh, so, so there's a lot of reproductive factors that will actually have the biggest impact. Um, but for premenopausal women, uh, there's this thing called, we call it, I'm actually doing some studies on the premenopausal side and uh, we call it the bump. And I'm not sure if a lot of people are familiar with the concept of the bump. And, and the bump is, is it's aptly named one because it's related to pregnancy. And two, there's actually a 10-year increase in risk, or there's a 10-year bump in breast cancer risk for women after their first pregnancy. And so for premenopausal women, uh, you know, uh, doing self-checks uh, is going to be the, one of the best ways to... Um, really decrease long-term issues, mortality, catching things before they become an issue um, outside of surveillance and screening, uh, which has shown a big improvement. So I, I certainly recommend that, uh, you know, just doing self-checks are, are really important, um, especially for premenopausal women, um, especially if you've waited a little bit longer in life to have your first child. But in addition to that, uh, any way to keep that energy balanced um, and either get to um, or maintain a healthy weight is probably the most important thing. And secondarily to that, doing any form of exercise, whether it be walking outside, whether it be hit, whether it be a bunch of different things at different times in your life, find something that you can use as tools 
that fit in your lifestyle and as your lifestyle changes, how you can adapt to continuing physical activity. Um, I, lo I love that. Yeah. Just kind of like, just move like something you can maintain. I don't, I, and this wasn't in, um, my original questions, but it just popped into my head. I don't know if you can comment on this at all, but like, what about alcohol intake? Mm -hmm. Ooh, yeah. I don't want to say it, but we should all be drinking less. <laughs> I know I'm Irish. I'm like, what? But yeah. <laughs> so we should all be drinking less. Yeah. It's pretty highly correlated with breast cancer risk. Um, yeah. That's what, like, that's what I've read. And I mean, yeah, I know it's like an especially in the, like the city, like alcohol is just so much a part of our culture and the way we socialize. Um, but drink less. It really, it really is. We're, we're actually seeing these upticks and trends for, for liver disease and, and liver cancer as well. So, oh. um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Like I'm not going to drink this week or next. Um, any, okay. So anyhow, thank you so much, um, for taking time out of your day. This was really interesting to me. I've been my, a lot of my, uh, listeners have been really curious about, um, you know, this in breast cancer, you know, some people just were recently diagnosed and stuff like that. So I, I really appreciate your mm -hmm. time and sharing your expertise with us today. Well, I will certainly say too, we do some work during treatment. So um, we have found that exercise during, uh, during chemotherapy treatment. And then also another group has looked at during radiation therapy as well, but basically bringing more blood and more oxygen to the tumor during treatment uh, helps the, the treatment be more effective. So oh. I would continue to advocate for um, exercise during treatment. Fascinating. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. Um, you're in Pennsylvania, right? I am. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I grew up in Pennsylvania. That's from, but near like near Joe Biden, like Scranton area. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I grew up in Mountaintop. Oh my God, that's where my dad grew up. That's so fun. <laughs> did you go to Crestwood? I did. Yeah. Wow. Actually, um, okay. today is our twenty year. Uh, today is twenty years. Oh my! I went to Bishop O'Reilly. Okay. That is so funny. I had no idea you were from Mountaintop. Okay. Wow. Small world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I was, um, I was welcomed back into the family when I started working for Penn State. So, yeah, <laughs> I, know, I know. Yeah, only people from like Nepal understand that. Like, like that is such like it's such a football area. But like, yeah, Penn. I always tell them like Penn State is like God where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I moved to Philadelphia, people were like, "Oh, a football team? You cheer for the Eagles?" I was like, "No, I cheer for Penn State." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, well, that's so interesting. Small world. Um, all right. Well, I'll let you go. And thanks again for sharing this. I look forward to uh, sharing this with my listeners and, and um, I'm sure they'll, uh, they'll have some feedback too, but, um, and I'll, and I'll send you the link when it's up too. Wonderful. Sounds good. I appreciate that. Okay. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, and again, Thanks to Dr. Sturgeon for coming on. Don't forget to subscribe, to share the episode with folks that you think might be interested in the content, and um, keep sending those suggestions through. All right, guys, till next time. Uh, what is the next episode of Causes or Cures? Oh, I, I know what it is. It has to do with how and why young women gain weight and 
what we can do to maybe prevent them from gaining weight. And it's it's great because it brings a lot to the table. So that'll be the next episode and hope you guys tune in. All right, guys, wherever you are in the world, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Take care of yourself.